The Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Good morning. You're listening to the 3CR Spoken Word Programme. My name is Di Cousins and today I'm talking to Carolyn Maisel about her new book, A Book of Hours. Uh, Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. How are you? Very good. Great you could come in. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, well, and I'm really excited. This is your actual first published book of poetry, is that right? Yes, that's right. It's only a little one, but I'm very happy about it. Yeah, look, it's got 28 pages. That's longer than some of mine. So I'd be happy too. That that's great, and it's a it's a very um, unusual concept. A book of hours. Tell me, tell me, what's a book of hours normally? Well, a book of hours is usually a beautiful medieval illustrated manuscript with beautiful pictures in it, and it's uh, made for the lord of a manor, so they can look at all their lands and all the people who work in them, and. Uh, a book of hours traces every hour of the day and tells you who's doing what in every hour of the day. So this sequence follows uh, from a morning right through a day, through a night and back to a morning again. But it's not uh, looking at lands or uh, fine workers, it's looking at people in the city. And and that's what I wanted to do, is to, to make a sequence about what I see or what I can imagine about people who live in this area, this area of Fitzroy and uh, Collingwood, but inner Melbourne. Yes, and and you work at the ACU, don't you, the Australian Catholic University, as a lecturer? That's right. I lecture in literature. And what I looked at for the three years in which I wrote these little, they're very little poems, uh, was... Um, Atherton Gardens Towers. So that was a, a focus in my mind. And that's the Housing Commission block on Brunswick Street. That's right. Right. And it has quite a diverse community living there. Yes, it has a very diverse uh, community living there. It's got lots of different people. It's a very vibrant place. Um, and there are lots of other people as well that I was thinking about, um, people in the surrounding areas, people I see some of my students, lots of different kinds of, of, of people from the area. So we've got sort of 24 short poems, each one in a sense reflecting the transition from one hour to the next hour and each one being about a different person or a different group of people. Um, but there's an emphasis on women in this mm. in this collection, mm. isn't there? That, that's right. I don't think women write very much about the city. They're not very many um, poets who write about the city who are women or write about women's uh, experiences of the city and I think that's really interesting and I wanted to do that. Um, So I have emphasised different imagined experiences of women in the city. Great. Okay. Well, we'll, um, we'll start to read it. And um, and and Carolyn and I will take turns and, and we'll read one page each. A book of hours. On the early tram, everyone's asleep or nearly, swaying as they sit or stand, still as a still life. But watch closely. An eyelid lifts, 
A head turns, someone yawns. Naked twigs are in again this year. Like nesting birds gone mad, we bring them home and stick them in a sheaf, exquisitely arranging air. The dawn chorus used to deafen us, but birdsong cannot reach us here, where every story is a slice of sky. Couples in their distant towers chant to the rising moon. Phone at her ear. She looks out across the city, her other hand moves across her belly, forwards, backwards, forwards. Two helmets up there. See where the roof will be? Where the building's aluminium sides elbow the street? They look past me, looking up, past cars and trams trickling through blasted folds of ancient rock, the stubborn river weaving below, knowing once the roof goes on, no one will see this ever again. The hedge is full of holes. The holes are full of little birds. Most days you wouldn't see them. But these oven mornings they fly straight past and dive right in. Dad put on a barbecue. He made the grill himself. I nearly died of embarrassment in front of my city friends. That was normal. I don't think about him all the time. Just snips and flecks. I still meet him every night. I don't want sleeping tablets. His best friend heads the table. Its mahogany shines. He's harder on my brother. I'm not a city girl. Two months and I'll take off. In the meantime, give me strength to work these four jobs. Black ribbon of screams. Shrill, high in the air. Look up, a thousand black squares in a white rectangle. Which window? You stare. Which window? She goes on screaming. Scraping the lip of the hill come trucks and cars, each one snapping a crack in macadam as they slip down a tunnel of noise. Unattended, invisible behind steel, a child is wailing, the rise and fall of her voice crying the endless street. You keep coming back to the towers with their columns of windows, each one a hive, a clustered home, a mansion, and you ask again why it's this view that kicks off the dance as you step into a curve of air and perch on top of a gum tree. What is it about some people, he said, that they cannot step on the earth? But, you say... An airy dance is still a discipline. It's rigour and virtue and, yes, it is exhilarating to step straight off an edge with just your hands for sword and shield and your mind to lift you high. No virtue there. Inside, a tiered oven where people bake in layers in the searing dark. What is the cost of refrigerated air? Eight of us sleep in one room. Three people snore. Not me. Do you know something worth knowing when you watch people sleep? I can't be an apprentice, but I can work in a garage for half the proper wage and drive taxis all night. 
I came here seven years ago to learn engineering. I can't study when I'm tired. I don't want to complain. How can I go back? They gave me all their savings. Seven years to learn nothing. Sometimes I cry to go home. In my village, we had everything. We watched people walking along the road. Animals, too. Everyone looked at the lake. When we left, we just ran. No time to think, this is the last time. Melbourne's my first city. The people look angry. Animals don't walk freely. I can't see any beautiful thing made by human hands. Endless, flat nature strips, white footpaths, heat. You moved with him to one of these low-roofed houses. You fled together. He saved you from cleaning all day. In return for food and bills and a different bit of floor each night. Cinderella's for kids. There's a cost to being safe. He pays my rent, takes care of me and all the bills. There is a cost. I don't talk about it. I need a dentist. I want to stop the painkillers, finish the assignment looming over my sleep and my visa. Today I can't face any of it. Luckily, I'm pretty. When I go outside, I wear love heart sunglasses and never step on the cracks. Corrugated iron sheeting bangs. Car doors bang. A white van. Sudden rain drops find my neck. I can't hear if a door is opening. I can't speak to you. The wind flings stones at the glass. Old words try new forms. For days it sows, lonely, tedious, full of desire. It wathers till the building sways like a dowager dancer, unsatisfied till the whole thing falls. Will that be all, madam? It never is. I'm only their first port of call, making them look immaculate for their banquets and balls and marquees. I correct all signs of animal life in crisp silence. They don't chat. It is I who must ask them pleasantly about their time in Noosa or New York. It's good money, but there's better. Troublesome husbands are no trouble, only a substantial extra. You explain what's been paid for. Grateful laughter, tinged with archness. Such a comprehensive service. So unusual, this treatment. Afterwards, I dress to go out with my family or to school. My shoes match my necklace. I'm famous for it. Smoky clothes of the day, sun, gilt and rose. This map unfurled at my feet, grid lines let go, streets open to the sky. No need for tables and chairs. At night we sit by the window, below us a carpet of lights. The television chatters to itself. Fido sleeps on the floor. Iron moves silently over shirt. Listen, she is praying to the God of order. Decency, please, oh please. Every day they sing in the street, the sky's blue. Her eyes smile as she plays, melting passers by. They're good, we eat every night. The guitar case fills. I've a soft bed, my own space, my sister too. 
But every night when he goes to his other job behind the wall, I hear her start to sob. And when the wind slams against the door and the grit flies, she jumps out of her skin. If she sees me, she laughs till I join in. Most of all, she loves old and new friends at the table and loud jokes voices, candlelight picking out the gold threads on their clothes. Then they go home. The chill returns. The walls are thin. Last things, curling up, asphalt on my cheek. After a while it gives, unlike the wall at my back. No further, it says, its tongue a scrape of mortar on the edge of a brick. She comes back to the van, one by one. Lights go off in the windows around her. She can pick the lock. Can anyone else? Just before dawn joggers and Sunday dog walkers, separate, blind to one another, yet moving together over the ground, young women step earnestly, as if seeking wisdom, each one in black, each one in tears. Early magpie warbles. I'm in your arms in a quiet city. The light that divides the current of the road pulses like a yellow heart. Thank you. That's uh, an amazing poem, Carolyn. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for reading and so... Uh, beautifully um it was um an interesting exercise it was such a release to write such short lines it was a release from self and um it was it was important to put a lot of space around each voice yes and um and each each page each each poem is a is a completely independent unit but the 24 of them are linked together by this sense of transition through time and this reflection on experience, sort of inner experience reflected in outward circumstance. That's right. That's, yeah. That's right. So you said um, that quite a few of the poems are set around Atherton Gardens. How did that come about? That came about because I had an office looking out at Atherton Gardens and so that tower block was always on my mind like a kind of beacon of something I wanted to address and a focus for all the kinds of imaginings of that particular area of the city. Um, There are a lot of different people who live there. Um, They do lots of different things. They walk around at different hours of the day and night and it was... um, as I say, some kind of signpost uh, for something I wanted to capture in this sequence. And um, when did you start writing the the suite of poems? I wrote little bits of things uh, very early on. The little poem about the dawn chorus used to deafen us and um, another one about the um, lights spread out in a carpet below and the one about the dowager dutch. Duchess, right. The sort of very um, romantic views of the city came first, yes. and then I got down to business a bit more. Yes, and and at what point did you envision it as a collection, as a, as a sequence of poems about that passes through from you know the twenty four hours of a day? I think 
very shortly after writing those first three, there right. had to be a structure yes. to it. And I wanted to write small little poems and so they had to go in a coherent order. I didn't write them in that order but I knew where they would go. Yes. And I knew what would be missing from the sequence if I hadn't done it yet. Yes, yes, yes. Non-linear in mm. a sense. So just let's just go through a few of the specific poems. Um, so where shall we begin? Um, what about Dad Put on a Barbecue? Uh, that was a, a, a very um, sad experience that I heard about, um, which was somebody rec- recalling their father actually... Um, making a a grill out of a car and um, putting on a barbecue and embarrassing his daughter. And then that family um, died in the bushfires and um, in uh, 2009. And um, the idea of that being haunting and the family being met again in sleep and... Um, how you cope with not living where you used to live and having having to cope with another family, um, his best friend um, being the head of the table and what your brother feels like and just wanting to get out of the city very much. But it was, it was a very moving anecdote that I was told. Yes. yes. About being embarrassed and then something much worse happening. Yeah. And it's funny how for, you know, a child or a younger person, something like having the wrong barbecue could be mm. social death. Yes, that's you right. Know, I mean, I heard about um, one school where everybody's birthday cake had to be a Patterson's cake. And if it wasn't a Patterson's cake, then this was in the 60s. Um, then, you know, it was everybody would whisper behind the back, well, what a shame she didn't have a Patterson's cake. Mm. You know, it was at a boarding school. Mm. So it didn't just start in the 1980s. No. <laughs> <laughs> Delina cakes, <laughs> and then um, we've got this poem on the following page that I think um, would uh, benefit from some description. Well, I'll, do you want to just read it out, and then um, we'll explain it. Mm-hmm. Black ribbon of screams, shrill, high in the air. Look up, a thousand black squares in a white rectangle. Which window? You stare. Which window? She goes on screaming. So what's that one about? Well, that one is about domestic violence and um, actually hearing somebody screaming in uh, from a window and looking up and it was one of those apartment blocks with just hundreds of windows and not being able to tell where the sound is coming from. So it's it's a kind of hell, really. Yes, looking. it is. Mm. Um, and there's also that sense of the anonymity of the city mm. that that people are lost in this uh you know matrix perhaps of of black and white rectangles mm. and 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 they've got no identity within them but they're mm. trapped inside mm. yeah i'm I'm interested in a way witnessing these kinds of things is like witnessing a kind of collective trauma mm. as as well. Yeah, well, our urban life uh, mm. can be very claustrophobic and traumatic in in many ways. Mm. Um, I think many people's lives are right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. What, which one shall we look at next? Um, the one that talks about keeping coming back to the towers. Mm. Um, I had an idea 
When I tried to describe what I wanted to do, it would be actually mentally to walk out of um, to walk out of one of the windows of Atherton Gardens into the air, <laughs> land on the top of a gum tree, and and in fact do all these kinds of acrobatics of the imagination because you can, and and I used something that, that uh, someone once said to me what is it about some people that they can't step on the earth and and made a counter argument out of it about you know what fun it is to imagine things yes and to imagine walking on air yes yes and to imagine yourself anywhere right in, in a space yeah yeah we're so grounded in our perception of what's possible i've always loved doing that imagine mm. myself riding on trams on the roof or or Oh, walking well. out onto a gum tree or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, in India, I have travelled on the roof of buses, which is quite a common thing to mm-hmm. do. Not very safe, of course. No. No. I wouldn't do it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about eight of us sleep in one room, three people snore? Not me. Mm. Do you know something <laughs> worth knowing when you watch people sleep? What what? How did that come about, that particular little poem? I think um, it's become much more, (coughs) pardon me, it's become much more known now um, about the secret working life of people like taxi drivers. And it's a taxi driver who's, who's talking about his life in this case and the shame of not being able to go home and the shame of not doing what you came to Australia to do. Um, and I think all of those exploited workers have become much more much more known about since I wrote that since I wrote that poem. But that was um news to me that that you could have such a an unfair life. Yes. Um yes, the international students who mm. are just working endlessly for, you know, below agreed wages and um, and not completing their degrees. That's exactly right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's an awful lot of that. I mean, it's the way the international education was turned into an industry without necessarily having due respect for the, um, the, the economic situation of those to whom the industry was marketed. Mm. Yes, the assumption that everybody who comes on an international visa is wealthy and everybody will complete. But mm. I think our whole economy seems to be built on the underpayment of, of workers. Yes, it seems to be, and it keeps coming coming to the fore. Mm. I really love this one. In my village, we had everything. We watched people walking along the road, animals too. Everyone looked at the lake. When we left, we just ran. No time to think. This is the last time. Melbourne's my first city. The people look angry. Animals don't walk freely. I can't see any beautiful thing made by human hands. Mm. So it's an interesting reflection coming from that um, uh, village life where there's handicrafts and, you know, maybe clay pots and straw baskets Mm. and weaving and embroidery and, you know, people grinding things with stones and, and then coming to a city where everything's urbanised and everyone's, you know, every, every, all the animals are on leashes. and yes. Well, yes. I used to teach a course called Writing the City and I used to ask my students to keep a, a learning journal. Mm. And um, one of my students said she'd never been in a city before and I thought this was 
I was so shocked. This mm. was incomprehensible to me and mm. that I think that was the seed of that poem because for many people Melbourne must be their first city. Yes, yes. Well, when I, when I lived in India, we used to make something called dosa mixture with stones, like a, an enormous giant pestle in a, in a gigantic mortar. You know, the mortar might be almost, you know, almost a metre on each square and then a, a giant stone and people would sit and grind and grind and grind for hours and then you'd have this pancake mixture. Mm. And um, and now you can buy you can buy it in a packet in the store. Oh, can you? <laughs> I love doses. <laughs> yeah, that that always still shocks me that mm. you know dosa making doses isn't hard mm. anymore. You know, mm. I mean. Mm. Mm. Um, now I didn't quite know what you were saying with this one. Corrugated iron sheeting bangs, car doors bang, a white van, sudden raindrops find my neck. I can't hear if a door is opening. I can't speak to you. What was that about? Um, that's about a person who is homeless and so frightened that they can barely communicate. Um, Dickens has one in um, his essay on homelessness, um, whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, he talks about somebody who's so frightened that they can't, they can't respond when he puts his hand out to them. And they seem to just be made up of rags. And I think there's a, a modern equivalent of this in, in, in street people who are so alienated that, and so frightened that they cannot communicate anymore. Yes. It's uh, extraordinary that, that the politicians haven't decided that homelessness is something important that they should fix, you know, and that we have it. I, I mean, I can't believe that we've got 100,000 homeless people in Australia and there isn't a, a social housing program mm. just to solve the problem, mm. you know. And and more and more people that you see on the street in mm. such desperate plights. And, I mean, I feel particularly sorry for women on the street, you know. I mean, that's a, such a vulnerable situation. Yes, it it is. It's mm. it's very invidious situation. And there are children as well, mm. you know. So which which one next? I liked writing the the one about the television chattering to itself. The television chatters to itself. Fido sleeps on the floor. Iron moves silently over shirt. Listen, she is praying to the god of order. Decency, please. Oh, please. Of course, that's a go at myself. <laughs> praying to the god of decency, but it was also... Being part of being part of the city and doing little mundane jobs that you have to do, and also it's an evening poem. Yes, and when you're saying you're talking about the god of order, it's 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 trying to extract order out of chaos, trying to be ready for the next day. That's right. Trying not to be overwhelmed by all the thousand things that have to be done. That's right. That's right. right. And just yeah. just hoping that you're going to fake decency. <laughs> 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 Say effect decency. That's, that's right. <laughs> yes, yes. Never let them see you sweat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Perhaps we'll just have a minute talking about um, other other publications that you've been in because it may be your first book, but you've you've published elsewhere. Yes, I, it's as if I've had um, two separate poetry careers, of which this is the beginning of the second. <laughs> Um, when I was young, I um, published poems in um, Luna and Poetry Australia and um, 
I think Compass and other small literary magazines. Um, I never found it hard then. It's got a lot more difficult now. Um, And then I lived overseas for a long time, 20 years, and during that time I published a little bit of poetry and I'd never stopped writing poetry, but your voice changes. It adapts to the situations that you're in and you... Well, if you're me, you never feel as though you are speaking in your own authentic voice until you come home. Right. And so it's been great to write again in my own voice and um, not modify it to fit in with other musics of other voices and places. So the phoenix rises. Yes. Yay. Something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, there is an idiom in one's own culture that that is uh, different. Yes. And and it is nice to be able to embrace that idiom. And feel as though you're writing for people who can hear what you're saying. Yes. Yes. It's it's a world being understood by itself. That's right. Yeah. Mm. So um, my name is Di Cousins and um, I've been speaking to Carolyn Maisel about her new book, A Book of Hours, and um, it's available from Collected Works. Um, Thank you for coming in, Carolyn. Thank you very much for having me. This has been the 3CR Spoken Word Programme.